Welcome to the Photography Q&A podcast. Hey, how's it going? I'm Andy Jones and this is episode 21 of the Photography Q&A podcast. Now, today's question comes from Mary Jane Hillier from New Zealand, the winner of the Reflector from last week. And she posted a photo on Facebook and asked me to look at it. And the question is, is the focusing the problem? So I had a look at the picture. It's, uh, it's a bit difficult to do this on a podcast, but we'll give it a go. It's a picture of a, a dark bird in a tree. The tree is full of yellow blossom and some seed pods, lots of seed pods all over the place. The bird has a, um, like a white thing under it on its neck that is glowing bright really is glowing bright now i looked this bird up and i could only get it because it has hackles around its neck which are like light feathers on a dark background the bird is called a i think it's pronounced tui a tui bird and they look really cool but the bird in the tree here you can see its eye a little bit of its beak is lit the white thing under its on its neck chest area and the a little bit of the hackles and the rest are just it's all blacked out you can see it's a bird but you can't see any of the detail in the feathers so is it a focusing problem that I'm looking at? Well, I can see the eye seems to be in focus, but I, d I don't see a focusing problem. The problem with this is it looks like strong backlighting and the wrong metering mode. Now, we've not discussed metering mode yet, so this is going to be a perfect time to do it. I'm going to post this as an article with the photo on the blog, on the 50millimeterframework.com blog. So you'll be able to see the, the image and understand what I'm talking about. So you can see just by looking where the shadows are in the tree and on the branches and where the light is, every, the parts are lit up, the light is behind the bird and it's coming from above as well. So it's around noon, I'm thinking, unless it's different in New Zealand. I don't think it is. So the part of the bird that is facing the camera is unlit. It has no light getting to it. The tree, on the other hand, is really well lit. And the effect that you get with this photo is more of a silhouette. You've got everything lit and the subject is almost blacked out. So let's just go over metering modes quickly. A metering mode measures the amount of light at the focus point or a given area out from the focus point. The, the standard setting, the default setting, is evaluative metering. This, like I said, is, is the default and it evaluates a high percentage of the screen. When it's metering, it's checking how much light is in every part of the picture and averaging it out over the whole scene, which is great. It does work with backlit subjects, but not when it's really strong backlight. And there's another one called center-weighted metering. This is weighted at the center of the image and then averaged out over the whole area. So it's actually from the focus point so if you use your center focus point, it'll do all the metering from there and then average it out. But not the same as the other one, the default one, the evaluative. This center weighted one doesn't cover the whole image. It just does it like 25% of the image, say. There's another metering mode called spot metering. And now it's not on all new cameras now. It's an old type of metering that used to use with film cameras. It's called spot metering. And that covers the area immediately around the focus point. The last time I looked in the manual, my daughter's 60D, it covers 6.5% of the scene, 
which is just a tiny dot in the middle, hence the name spot metering. It doesn't have an awful lot of uses. Maybe if you're shooting insects, really, you know, macro photography, getting right up and seeing that the spot metering would work for that. But like I say, it's not on all new cameras now. And the one that is really suited to this picture is called partial metering. And that works best when the background is much brighter than the subject. So you take in a picture of a bird in the tree, as in Mary Jane's case. If you use partial metering, it will work out the light just around your subject and account for all the bright light in the background. And it would have worked a lot better on this, uh, this photo, definitely, because the background light seems very harsh. Whenever you're going to take a picture, think about the available light and where it's coming from, the direction that it's coming from. In most cases, you want your subject to be well lit. So think about moving to a different spot to make full advantage of the available light, meaning if the light is coming through, you're in a, someone's room and the light's coming through a window, positioning your subject in front of that window so the light goes onto their face is one example. In Mary Jane's case, with this picture of the bird in the tree, if she'd taken the picture with the sun over her shoulder, it would have shined on the bird and the bird would have been lit and the metering would have taken care of all the other things around it. Now, the other thing you got to consider is if you are taking a picture of someone, or an animal, not a person, an animal, with the sun over your, coming over your shoulder or from behind you, make sure that your shadow isn't in the picture. I've done this many times. You see the silhouette of this lumpy Englishman <laughs> on the floor in front of the subject. You've just got to forget that picture altogether. So... Just think about your scene as you position yourself as well. Now, animals you can take with the sun straight in the face. They don't blink like us. They're not, they're not going to squint when you take the picture. So humans are different. We need a little bit of shade to be well lit. Animals just make sure that the sun is uh, shining on the face and go for it. Anyway, think about the light, where it's coming from, and make sure your shadow is not in the picture. Now, the other option is you can supply your own light, which... With this picture, the you could have used uh, flash and used it just light flash just to fill the, the image. That would have worked if the flash had been on the camera. Setting up an off-camera flash with a wild animal with some wildlife is, is, is a no-go. But flash on your camera would work in that situation. So basically be strategic, plan ahead and use the sun to your advantage. All right. Another question she had. Mary Jane takes a few landscape pictures and she's finding that they're a little blurry. The first thing I thought about was she's hand holding. She's not using any support to steady the camera. So it's basic camera shake. If you're taking a picture of someone in front of you and you've got a slight bit of camera shake, it might turn out okay. Over a distance of a landscape, you know, you're shooting maybe two, three miles of landscape, the slightest little movement is over-exaggerated and it will look blurry. So you need two tools, really. The main tools that you need are things to keep your camera stable. You need a good solid tripod and a ball head. The ball head fits on top of the tripod and it can be moved in any direction to get your camera horizontal and pointing in the right direction. The tripod needs to be solid. Now, there are tripods out there that you can pay thousands and thousands of dollars for i'm not talking anything like that it's just way out of most people's league if you're doing it professionally and making lots of money then go buy one but otherwise don't buy a cheap one though the 25 35 tripods have shaky legs they're wobbly 
And once you get them, the legs splayed out and you put your camera on, it might feel solid. But if there's the slightest breeze, it's going to just move it slightly and that will cause your images to be blurry. You're not looking at a full professional tripod, but if you just take a step up, if you go into a camera store, read a review on some models. Now, I don't have an expensive tripod. I've got a, a mid-range one and it's still a little bit wobbly. I've tried it with my big 70 to 200 millimeter lens and um, my camera body's quite heavy as well. And outside in anything with a slight breeze, it, everything was blurry. It's just pointless. So I need to get a better one. The one that I've got cost, I guess it was around the $80 mark at the time. And uh, I knew at the time I should have gone for a better quality one. But anyway, you can look for uh, used ones, by the way. If you get a decent quality one, you might pay 75 to 100 bucks for a good quality used one that won't have any shake in it. All the usual used places, KEH, B&H Photography, um, Adorama, Henry's in uh, Canada are good as well. So yeah, don't buy cheap. It'll be of no use to you. Sometimes you're better off doing it handheld than using a cheap one. No way am I an expert on the ball head. The one I've got is probably better than the tripod, but you need that to be sturdy as well. So basically read some reviews. There's lots out there. So you need a good quality tripod, a ball head, and there are some other things that you could do as well. One of the problems is even if you've got it on a tripod, if you push the shutter button, the act of pushing down moves the equipment. Now, there's two ways to get around this. The first one is use the self-timer built into the camera. So mine has two seconds, five seconds, seven, ten, fifteen, something like that. Even if you set it to two seconds, um, it allows you to push the button, like one, two, and then the camera will take the picture. So you're not in contact with the camera when it actually takes the picture. To be sure that your camera stopped moving, try five or ten seconds. It's not going to do any harm. This is a, the simple way of doing it. There is another way that can be very cheap with the Canon cameras and the Nikons. You can buy a remote shutter release and you can get Canon ones for 10 bucks. And I've seen some Nikon ones, same ones. It's just like a little key fob sort of thing with a button. And the wireless, you just click and it takes a picture. I think that is the best option because even if you use a delay, the act of pushing the button can put a little bit of movement into your camera. All right, so what aperture should you use the aperture can be really important if you use shallow depth of well not shallow depth of field but if you use wide open settings like f2 2.8 1.8 you're not going to get the same detail in your image as you would if you were using say f16 or f18 the aim is to get everything in focus in a landscape picture so you need a deep depth of field, not a shallow one, a deep one. So you want to be in the range of f8 up to f18. f16, f11, something like that would be fine for most things. And also try to keep the point of focus on something in the scene at about a third to halfway into the scene. So if you're doing a mountain range and there's a, I don't know, a tree a third of the way into it, you can, on top of a hill, Focus on that hillside at F16, say F, F10, F11, whatever. Really doesn't matter that much. At that distance, you're going to get everything in focus anyway. Yeah, a third to halfway into the scene, you need your focus point to be on. And don't use multiple focus points. That is not a good thing. 
And if you use the, uh, if you upgrade and you get yourself a tripod, you're going to be amazed at the quality of your images. You really will. You'll really get into processing then, because there's so. If you shoot in RAW and use a tripod, you're going to have some beautiful images. All right. Um, so last week I took you through shooting in manual and aperture priority modes. I have a video now showing how I processed one of those images. It's a honeybee on what is really a weed at the side of the uh, garage. A little bluey, lilac-y coloured flower. And I just caught this bee with my 50mm lens. Didn't really think about the settings at the time. I just glanced quickly, made sure it was the lighting was right, the meter was in the middle, and I just clicked. Luckily, it turned out. I had two other pictures of it that didn't turn out. They were a little bit blurry, but this one worked. The head was a little bit soft, meaning not really sharp, but I sharpened that up and changed the, brightened the color of the flower, changed, got more detail out of the stem of the flower or weed, whichever you prefer to call them. Yeah, and I take you, I do a video of that. So it takes about nine minutes in Lightroom. Um, I waffle on a little bit, so it's probably only like seven minutes of processing. It doesn't take long once you know what you're doing to bring the detail out of a, a raw image. It's not the same with the JPEG image. You're going to really, by basically by shooting in JPEG, you are allowing the camera to do the processing for you. It's not as easy to change. With a raw image, it, it just saves everything in there and it allows you to bring all the points of interest out and change colors and yeah, it's crazy. So I've got this picture of the bee. You might have seen it. It's in the Facebook group. Oh no, we've got it in we've got it in the members now with the video to go with it. So you can see it if you join the members area on the 50mm framework.com website. It's free membership. All you do is sign up and I'm gonna be trying to add stuff every week. Probably won't be every week, but I'm gonna try. I'm working on a beginner's tutorial at the moment, which is a bit bigger than I thought it was gonna be. I thought it was gonna be quick, but there's a lot more to it. All right, so that's it for this week. If you've got any questions, go for it on the Facebook group. Um, I'll leave links to the Facebook group and to the website for signing up for the members in the show notes. I uh, hope you all have a good week. Talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs>